start receiving it right now. The Lord is dissolving those fat cells right now in their body. Lord, I thank you right now for touching people's bodies. Just begin to thank him right now. Just open up your mouth and just start thanking him right now. Now just begin to check your waistline. If you are starting to get some, like your pants were tight but they're loosening, start checking them right now. I've seen people lose 17, 18 inches off of their waist. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to, first thing we're going to do is we're going to forgive. Okay, so right now let's just go ahead and come before the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and begin to release people from bitterness. It might be your mother, your father, it might be um, an ex, it might be your current spouse, but we're going to release them right now. And we're going to, we just be, come before the Lord and we, we forgive every person that has hurt us, burned us, um, done evil to us, done it on purpose. We forgive them and we let them go and we release them uh, to you, Jesus. And we actually pray uh, for our enemies. We pray blessing upon them. Everybody uh, that said things against, um, uh, that, that said we were ugly, that said we were fat, that said we were, were no good and, and and, you know, uh, uh, we, we took that in and we started turning on ourselves. We just release them to you right now. We just trust you, Jesus, with our heart. You're the healer of the broken heart. We give to you our heart right now. And we just thank you that you're going to heal those places. And, Lord, I just pray over every person that's praying this with me right now. Um, Lord, I just thank you that you're healing them of bitterness. You're actually uprooting the bitterness from them. Not only uprooting the bitterness from them, Lord, but you're uprooting um, what's underneath their weight gain. And, Lord, I just speak to their bellies right now that the swollen bellies are actually shrinking. Um, they're actually um, coming back into proper shape, the shape that you intended for them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we've forgiven other people. Now we want to forgive ourselves. That's another thing. We want to release ourselves from self-condemnation, bitterness against our own self. We turn against our own self, and then we, we you know, um, act against our own self, all right? So in the name of Jesus, I just forgive myself. I release myself from shame. I release myself from guilt. I release myself from condemnation. Jesus, we thank you that there is no condemnation because we are in you and uh, condemnation does not exist for us and so we thank you Lord we, we set our own selves free in Jesus name Holy Spirit we just invite you to come into those places right now we command the weight to go we command it to melt off we command minds to change in Jesus name now I want to pray over you um, who have uh, problems with the fatigue the fatigue is like you can't even exercise you can't walk you can't get up you can't you can't um, uh, even be physically fit because you can't move I just command the spirit of heaviness to leave you right now now you see a lot of infomercials these days on losing weight and don't get rid of this channel because you know because I'm gonna be talking about it I'm not talking about the natural ability to lose weight I'm talking about a supernatural ability could you imagine a young Jewish man speaks and people in the audience supernaturally lose weight several dress sizes the dresses are hanging on them during the meeting now you've never seen weight loss like this before let's take a look at the clip what is happening to you uh, I'm, I'm shrinking <laughs> you're losing weight instantly disappearing <laughs> right here in Jerusalem <laughs> Can't. what is happening 
I'm getting smaller. <laughs> I think these are going to fall down. So if you don't hold your pants up, do you think they're going to fall? <laughs> Definitely. How, how much do you think you lost as far as dress sizes, maybe? Oh, I don't know, but <laughs> easy. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> now, that's awesome. Weight loss. It's weight loss. How many this is the first time you have seen instant weight loss in your life? So what it means is that there's a newer glory than you've known before, so there's newer miracles. New glory, new miracles. Old glory, same. Now, others of you, I would check your waist because others of you might get it just as she's testifying. I mean, I mean you, all you have to do is be there. Yeah, and be in that presence and that glory. And so, then, so you mean you don't have to touch someone? You don't, it's just that, that glory exactly. causes what you say to happen. 90% of the miracles we see, we never touched anybody. I'd say 99%. Oh. But with the glory comes in the atmosphere, and there'll be maybe words of knowledge and sometimes not, and people are touched in the back rows just by the glory that's in the meeting. Okay, okay. The Messiah said to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean to you? Well, and if you were to go to heaven right now and you had a big cancer coming out of your belly, how long would that cancer take to go? I don't think it would make it there. Yeah. <laughs> the second you were there, it'd be gone. Well, if the same glory comes on the earth, then his will can be done on the earth as it would be in heaven. In heaven, it would be instant. Demons come out quicker. Miracles happen quicker. Everything is accelerated in that glory realm. Is that so? The clip that we saw of someone losing weight is as if they just walked into the glory in heaven, but that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. We saw a demonstration. You of look that. a whole lot better in heaven than you do on the earth because of the glory. Right. But if you live in that glory, you can have some of that look so or that new body. You can look that way on earth? Yeah, you can get some of it, I believe, as much as you can. Well, Moses did. Can we see this glory come in a country and have the whole country radically impacted as opposed to in a little meeting? I believe we will. I believe one day we're going to see invasions of the glory in whole cities, whole islands, whole countries. How about a countries. hospital? Can you picture this glory yeah. coming into a hospital room uh, with intensive care the ward and people pulling the tubes out and say, I don't need this nonsense anymore? It's, ha it's, it's happened before in the faith realm, people praying for the sick in a hospital, but it's going to happen again where the whole hospitals just get up and be empty. I believe in even morgues, people that are brought to the morgue that have died, there'll be mass resurrections, not just one resurrection, but mass. Like we've had one healing and two and then mass healings. We've had deliverance and then mass deliverance. Mass resurrections, like in Ezekiel, will happen. Will happen. If you haven't figured it out yet, today's episode is about supernatural weight loss. And I decided to talk about this because this is something that has gone on for a number of years. We just heard a few different clips from different people. The first one that we just listened to came from Charlie Champ. And this was from a service that he uh, ministered at where he had to have a translator. I cut out the translation part just for time's sake. But in particular, this clip, which was on his YouTube channel, was titled Supernatural Weight Loss. He had people come forward after he began to decree and declare and pray over them about their fat cells dissolving and losing weight supernaturally. And he told them to tuck in their shirts. And he wanted them to check themselves, and people said they felt their legs get smaller as he ministered to them, and he heavily laid his hand on them, and they fell down. Uh, some of them said that their waist got smaller. They felt a tingling in their waistline, a wave of fire. Several different people came up and gave testimonials, and there was very small amounts that they were testifying to, which we don't know prior to that. And even then, this is not something that we find in Scripture, as we're going to find in this episode today, or not find in this episode today, should I say. 
The other two clips that you heard, one of them came from Jennifer Ives, who is known for having these different things that she has ministered to regarding supernatural weight loss. I've seen several of these clips, uh, and I've heard of her and in this movement that I was in, and she's also... Um, done some omen reading, it would seem, such as dragonflies and things. But at any rate, she uh, ministered and talked about the supernatural weight loss and ministering to women and talking about how that they needed to decree and declare these things about fatigue and about the weight gain and and talking to these specific areas and uh, commanding these things to uh, be resolved. The other one that you heard came from Sid Roth. Now, this was actually an older show. I don't know how old it was, but when you see it compared to the ones today, you can definitely tell it's an older show. Sid Roth is interviewing David Herzog. And the title of this was People Supernaturally Lose Weight When He Speaks. This was done years ago, but it was reposted on Sid Roth's channel five months ago. And I found that interesting. But David, you can hear, he talks about everything in the earth down to the cellular level has the ability to respond to sound waves and to the glory of God. When you listen to this interview, you hear him say these things. And he talks about being touched by the glory and looking like it, as you heard in one of the clips I played earlier. And he also talked about gold teeth, jewels and services, manifestations during water baptism. He correlates all of these with the invasion of glory. This includes supernatural weight loss. And so I wanted to play some of these to kind of set the groundwork as I normally do for what we're going to be doing today. We're actually going to be looking at a particular teaching from a lady. Uh, her name is Katie Souza. I came across this and she talked about supernatural weight loss. This is not the only one that she's done, but this was from two months ago. So it's a fairly recent one. I thought it would be good to listen to it and look at it and give us a good exercise in how to look at, at just simply reading scripture and, and I'm going to encourage you along the way to do more private Bible study with the certain verses. But there's some that we will camp out on for a few minutes just to talk about the general meaning of them. I encourage you to, to seek out um, good, solid Bible teachers on this. You can find and, and use resources to look into this in your own private study so you can understand this better. Maybe a spoiler alert. None of the scriptures that she talks about has to do with what she's saying it has to, to do with, which is supernatural weight loss. So I hope that you enjoy this episode today. I hope it's helpful to you as we look at what the claims are for supernatural weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Then I try to lose the weight, I'd starve myself to death and run on the, tr on the treadmill. <laughs> You know, on the days I came home and then tried to lose enough weight to get back in my clothes again, and it was madness. And finally, I remember one day I came back on the plane and I was asking God, what is this? And that's when he told me, read Numbers 5, about the woman that drank the bitter water, and when she did, her belly would swell. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally bitter, and it's making me fat. And I remember going home and praying, and that's the time I prayed. I prayed for dunamis power to come out. I, I, I like asked God to forgive me my bitterness and put the blood on it, and then I commanded dunamis power, and I prayed for like three hours in front of that TV. I was praying so loud, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> My husband was there watching TV with the remote, turning it up like this and staring at me, looking at me like, would you lose weight somewhere else? You know, and then finally, after three hours, my stomach went, Whew. and that was my first experience of supernatural weight loss, and I, wa I don't know, I lost like six, seven, eight pounds. Yeah, well, I hope that you have your Bible out today. <laughs> 
<laughs> that you're prepared for this. It's a very interesting episode, to say the least. Who knew that I would be doing an episode? I didn't know I would be doing one about supernatural weight loss. But at any rate, it is going to be an interesting topic for sure today. But I think that we're going to find that scripture is helpful when we understand it in context and we take time to open it and to read it and not rely on someone such as Katie Souza to tell us what it's saying, uh, which it doesn't say what she's saying. This teaching that she did was about 29 minutes long. Now, we're going to listen to several clips and talk about the scriptures today, again, as a good exercise to help you and I both to understand how important it is to do to be a good Berean and to study the word of God. And especially as women, uh, when we're listening to other women like this that are teaching that have no business, honestly, I'm just going to be frank, she has no business teaching this because what she's doing is she's uh, dishonoring the word of God in what she's doing. But at any rate, she's teaching on supernatural weight loss and she starts out with her own experience and she's appealing to extra biblical revelation that God's giving her about a specific uh, Bible passage in Numbers 5. I want to look at Numbers 5 in just a minute and we can just simply read it. We're going to simply read these passages today to see what the context of them are and then we're going to spend a little bit more time as we go in something that she's talking about. And so she begins with Numbers 5. And she talks about how God told her that the reason why she was gaining so much weight was because of bitterness and and to go to Numbers 5. And that she prayed for three hours in front of the TV and she said, I don't know, I lost six, seven, eight pounds. Does that sound miraculous to you? I'm just curious because when we talk about supernatural weight loss, this should be transformational for one thing and then the other question is to ask does this glory how does this glorify God how does this testify of Christ when we don't see this in scripture we don't see this example of scripture and so there are others like her that will that will testify not only of this happening but uh, gemstones and feathers and gold dust along with this they lump these all together as supernatural manifestations so ask yourself is this biblical do we see this in scripture how does this glorify God How does this testify of Christ? Those should be questions that we should be able to ask when people are teaching these things. And we'll talk about some practical things at the end, too, that are not uh, being addressed when, when people like this are peddling this type of teaching. Now, I mentioned a minute ago, she said something about Numbers 5 and that the Lord gave her this extra biblical revelation that this was why she was dealing with bitterness. Now, when you look at Numbers 5, specifically verses 11 through 31, I encourage you, go read those on your own time. And many of us are going to find when we look at our Bibles that there is a heading, which we know was not divinely inspired, but a lot of Bibles have headings, so we kind of know what the gist of what is going on in that in that particular passage. But Numbers 5, 11 through 31, is a test for adultery in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. And it was basically when a husband suspected his wife of committing adultery, and it was hidden from the eyes of um, the woman's husband, and it was undetected. There was a specific test that the high priest would do to the woman. And so I want you, and, and based on how her body responded, that would determine if she was guilty or if she was innocent. But it required drinking a cup of bitterness where a curse was written, put into the water, the dust from the, t- the tabernacle floor was put into the water, and then the woman had to drink it. And if she was guilty, her womb would swell, her thigh would rot away, and this was a basically judgment that had come on her to show that the curse had come on her for her adultery. If this did not happen, then she was innocent. That's what that passage has to do with. Not Katie Souza needing to lose weight, six, seven, eight pounds in her belly because of bitterness. If she had bitterness and she knew that she was bitter against somebody, the answer is to repent. 
repent of your sins uh, before God, ask him to forgive you and to, um, to renew your mind, to, to cause you to, and to help you to love that person and to not sin against God and ultimate and, and essentially against that person either. But instead, there's this concoction of this whole thing going on of, of saying, well, God gave me this revelation. And so since God gave it to me, you know, you can't question it is what will be <laughs> stated a lot of times when you hear people say these things. The other thing I wanted to read to you, too, was I have the ESV uh, Church History Study Bible. I recently got it, and it's I, I really enjoy it. But I wanted to read this. This was from Charles Simeon, and this was uh, referencing Numbers 5, verses 29 through 31, is referencing that the law in cases of jealousy when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife, then he shall set the woman before the Lord and the priest shall carry out for her all this law. The man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. This is what Charles Simeon said in the commentary regarding this passage. Many of the Jewish laws were adapted exclusively to that people and were wholly inapplicable to any other nation. This law has ceased, but there is another tribunal to which all, whether male or female, married or unmarried, shall be summoned. Thither shall we be brought by our heavenly husband, who is a jealous God, yea, whose very name is Jealous, Exodus thirty four fourteen, And by his infallible decision will our eternal state be fixed. Let us therefore confess our sins with all humility of mind, and wash in that fountain which was open for sin and for uncleanness, referencing Zechariah 13, verse 1. So I wanted to read that to you and to share that again. Please go to Numbers 5, verses 11 through 31, and read that in your private time, and see if you come away with what Katie Souza just taught us about what this means from based on her private uh, revelation from God. At any rate, about a minute and 15 seconds in, she starts talking to the people that are listening to her, stating, if you're gaining weight, it's because of this particular reason. But I'm telling you what, a lot of you have gained extra weight because you're bitter. Okay, so let's fix that problem right now. She begins to tell those who are listening to uh, think about who or what are you bitter at? Are you bitter at your spouse? Are you bitter at a friend, a boss that's not treating you properly? Maybe your job's not going well. Maybe you're upset because an insurance agency or a, a government agency isn't paying you the money that you deserve or that you feel like you deserve. She tells them to ask Holy Spirit what they are bitter at. And then she takes a moment just to pause, just to give that profound pause, you know. And after that, once the person is told by Holy Spirit what they are bitter about, then they are to put it under the blood because the blood atones for the sin of bitterness. Now, Christ certainly atoned for our sins. That's most assuredly the correct. And you will hear some partial truths in certain ones that are false teachers, that they're saying things that are that are partially true because there there is going to be some truth sprinkled in there. If it was all false, then it would be obvious. So there is going to be some truth sprinkled in there. But as you're going to continue to listen, when someone is not honoring the Word of God in the proper meaning of it, just in the simple reading of the text, and they're reading into it, and then they're ascribing things to it that weren't there, and they're over-spiritualizing it by adding things to it spiritually that are not in the text, then 
we have we have some problems here and then it leads people astray if they believe this to be correct and then there's no accountability when you're talking about if there's sinful patterns and such in life there's no accountability there's no responsibility and and it really exalts self is what it's doing and i hope as you, as you listen to what she says that you'll begin to use biblical discernment to go back to the scriptures yourself and not just rely on what i'm saying but go back to the word of god and read it study it in your private time, ask your pastor about these these passages, get a godly leader to to help you to understand scriptures when you come uh, across them and you don't understand. That's going to be invaluable to you. But she goes on to tell people, you cannot let the devil condemn you. Um, and then about three minutes in, she tells them that the blood atones for the sin of bitterness. She has them repeat a prayer after her regarding this and to receive the power of the blood. I'll just sit here right now and say, well, I believe the truth. The blood is atoning for this bitterness. It's already, my sin of bitterness is already under the blood. Okay, because the Bible says that Jesus once for all died for sin. So don't let the devil think that you need to beg or plead to be forgiven. You are forgiven. Now you just need to appropriate it with your faith. Receive it with your faith. Okay, so let's do that first and then we're going to apply dunamis. Now, you may hear Katie Souza mention dunamis in some of these clips today again, which that's a big buzzword. I heard that numerous times in this movement, but dunamis is focused on as power. The minister I was under would always talk about that's where the, the word dynamite comes from is dunamis. So there's going to be a focus on that. And you, you won't hear her say repent. Even though you'll say, hear her say forgiveness, you will not hear her say repent. Uh, and you heard even Jennifer Ives in the other clip uh, talk about, you know, you need to not only forgive other people, you need to forgive yourself. I'm going to say this right now, and I understand that there is some seer meaning, and I know I've said that in the past, so I need to forgive myself. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to forgive ourselves. We're not God. We're not the Savior. We are never told to forgive ourselves. We are told to seek forgiveness from God. We are told to ask for forgiveness, to repent of our sins. We are told to forgive others, but we are to go to God and ask him to forgive us. If we begin to seek inwardly and to say, I need to forgive myself, rather than to say, God, forgive me for my sin, my trespass against you, then we're tr it's where we mean to or not, we could be trying to trade roles and put our put ourselves in the place of well I have to forgive myself no you ask God to forgive you if you've sinned and you've transgressed you go to the Lord and you ask him to forgive you but unfortunately the concern in these types of beliefs and practices is essentially it's creating an, another God in our own imagination as I've said before and other things and it's also essentially setting us up as God whether we mean it to or not so just consider that I would I would search the scriptures and see, does it say anywhere that I'm supposed to forgive myself or am I supposed to go to God and ask for forgiveness? So she does talk about uh, this dunamis, that they need to pray this prayer and to receive the power of the blood, the dunamis power, because she says the power is in the blood, the dunamis, and that's what we're to walk in. And then after she tells the people to do this, she then tells uh, those listening to place their hands on their belly and release the dunamis over bitterness. And she gets them to repeat phrases. And when I heard her do this, it reminded me of the passage in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about 
prayer. And he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that there may be that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And verse seven says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then he goes on to cite the Lord's prayer. Our father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so that was the uh, the passage that came to mind when I heard her. She said, just re- repeat this. Repeat it again. Say it again. I thought, well, first of all, this isn't prayer. Because when you're decreeing and declaring, there is no pattern in Scripture for decreeing and declaring that's called prayer. And secondly, this whole thing of repeating this over and over and over again, that's vain repetition. That doesn't do anything. There's no power in that vain repetition. I just wanted to throw that out. And I will have the link to this as the resource that you can listen to it for yourself. So you can see and hear the context of these things. So you can double check it if you wish to do so. But at any rate, that's what she's doing. This vain repetition and and misappropriating scripture. And it's, re- again, very sad because the, the people are looking for quick fixes. Unfortunately, we live in a culture and a society now where we can get quick fixes to things, quick solutions at the pun- at the push of a button, essentially. And what people are looking for in this day and age, and, and I've been guilty of it as well, is that we want a fast fix to a big problem. Uh, we want a fix to our, for example, when we have t- more weight on us than we would like. It took a while for us to get to that point, whether it's a medical issue, a legitimate medical issue that some people do deal with. Their body's broken. It's not working like it should. And so they gain weight for whatever reason. You have people that are doing things that are not good for them and they're gaining weight and that can lead to medical issues, pain in their bodies and such. We all have dealt with this or are dealing with this. And so sometimes we can have these things that may lead to health issues or maybe they're um, simply things because we're making poor choices in our life. That's not being addressed here. This is a quick solution to a problem that could be a sinful problem. It's a fleshly problem. It needs to be, it's a crucified uh, type problem. It's a problem that requires crucifying the flesh. And so this is not being addressed. This is, this is trying to give a, a quick solution and say, oh, you can have supernatural weight loss. You just have to decree and declare it away. And you have to command the fat cells to dissolve. Listen, if that worked, I'd be skinny mini if I could do that, okay? I'd be decreeing, declaring fat cells all day long and twice on Sunday. But I'm not doing that because it's not biblical. All of us, myself included, have to learn how to put stuff down, not put it in our mouth, not bend the elbow so much, and make better choices. And so I'm preaching to the choir here, and I'm in the choir, and I understand that. But this is what you're going to hear here today. This is not biblical teaching. And I'll just say flat out, you need to mark and avoid Katie Souza. You need to mark and avoid her. Pray for her. Uh, pray that she repents of what she's doing. Pray that those that are following her repent and that they see what's going on and they are willing to hear the truth. But in order for people to see and hear the truth, it has to be identified as false. So we have to be willing to say, this is actually not biblical and love people enough to say, 
why this is not biblical and to draw attention to it and say, this is not biblical teaching. You need to turn back to Christ. If you have these issues in your life, these could be fleshly issues, sinful desires, crucify the flesh, go back to the word of God, renew your mind with the word of God, be sanctified by the word of God and turn from these ways. Pray and ask God to help your body. If it's not something that you're contributing to, if it's because your body's broken, ask God to, to help you in this capacity and to, to have wisdom, give doctors wisdom. The, that is biblical to pray that way, y'all. It's biblical to pray that way. This is not biblical, and this is not helpful. It's a bondage creator is what it is. <sighs> okay, so Katie goes on to encourage decreeing and saying that rivers of living water flow out when you do this because that's where the dunamis is. It's in the, the rivers of living water. Now, she doesn't say this particular verse, but she says she is referencing John 7, 37 through 39. John 7, 37 through 39, I want to read uh, for us and to look at a study Bible, another study Bible I have. It's the MacArthur Study Bible. And to look and see what the notes have to say about this passage, because I think what it says is far more profound than what Katie Souza is saying. But again, let's listen to this clip real quick of this, and then we'll come back to John 7. In fact, I walk around and I say that. I say that scripture. If I'm feeling bitter, or if I'm feeling offended, or if, or if I'm having trouble, like if a food thing is coming back at me and is trying to, to get a, a foothold again in me where I'm always thinking about food or wanting food, I'll just say, I'm not hungry. I'm not bitter. I've got rivers of living water, dunamis power, flowing continuously. That's what it says in the Amplified. Continuously out from my innermost being into my body, like a spring of living water, into my soul, like a spring of living water. Okay, you just keep on saying those decrees. Whenever you get hungry, you should do that. You should say, I'm not hungry. I just ate. I've got dunamis flowing like a continuous spring of living water from my innermost being out into my soul to make it excellent and into my body to cause me to lose weight. Do you see? I mean, you you and I are doing it wrong if we're trying to watch our diet, if we're trying to exercise, walk, make better choices, things like that. You know, it, that's not the right. You need dunamis. You need to release those rivers of living water. Is that what John 7, 37 through 39 is? Hmm. Well, let's see. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Uh, this states, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That's a beautiful passage, by the way. So let's take a look at this MacArthur Study Bible. And I'm going to read the, the notes to you, the commentary, because I think that this is going to be of help to both you and I as we glean from Bible teaching that seems to correlate with the passage itself rather than walking around like you got dunamis power and that you need to release those rivers of living water so that way you can dissolve some fat cells and shrink your belly. Verse 37 in chapter 7, the commentary says, on the last day suggests that this occasion occurred on a different day than the controversy in verses 11 through 36. When it says, if anyone is thirsty, the commentary states, a tradition grew up in the few centuries before Jesus that on the seven days of the Feast of Booths, which this pertained to this particular feast, 
or the Feast of Tabernacles, a golden container filled with water from the pool of Siloam was carried in procession by the high priest back to the temple. As the procession came to the water gate on the south side of the inner temple court, three trumpet blasts were made to mark the joy of the occasion, and the people recited Isaiah 12:3, You will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. At the temple, while onlookers watched, the priest would march around the altar with the water container while the temple choir sang the Hallel, which is Psalms 113 through 118. The water was offered in sacrifice to God at the time of the morning sacrifice. The use of the water symbolized the blessing of adequate rainfall for crops. Jesus used this event as an object lesson, an opportunity to make a very public invitation on the last day of the feast for his people to accept him as the living water. His words recall Isaiah 55, 1. Now I want to read this to you because it shows us the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And by the way, Jesus thought much of the Old Testament because he quoted it to Satan and the temptation. So Jesus highly valued scripture, and that should help us to understand we should as well. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This is alluding to salvation. As we go on in this commentary, uh, the phrases thirsty, come and drink, State, these three words summarize the gospel invitation. A recognition of need leads to an approach to the source of provision, followed by receiving what is needed. The thirsty, needy soul feels the craving to come to the Savior and drink. In other words, to receive the salvation that he offers. The living water is the water-pouring rite was also associated within Jewish tradition as a, a foreshadowing of the eschatological rivers of living water foreseen in Ezekiel 47, 1-9, and Zechariah 13.1. The significance of Jesus' invitation centers in the fact that he was the fulfillment of all the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, anticipated. In other words, he was the one who provided the living water that gives eternal life to man. I don't know about you, but even just reading commentary that helps us to understand the context of what's going on, the, the who the audience was, the historical context. Some of us are may not be familiar with the feast, the Jewish feast, and the details surrounding them and how they conducted them then, and why it was so significant and what he was saying. Some of us may not understand the correlation that we find with the Old Testament, with the New Testament, and how powerful that is. Hundreds of years before Jesus came in, in his earthly ministry as the Messiah, these things were prophesied. And we can see here that this is a beautiful passage that is referring to salvation and the promise of eternal life. Out of you shall flow rivers of living water. This has nothing to do with us losing weight. But yet this has been appropriated to these passages to mean that. And that's what I mean by egregious. It's egregious to appropriate those meanings to this passage and to diminish what this is actually saying. This is far better news to hear. This is talking about eternal life in Christ. This is talking about that when Jesus goes, he knew I, it is better that I go to the Father because when I do, I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will not only be with you, but he will be in you is what scripture tells, he told the disciples. And we know that to be true for us today as believers. He dwells within us. He dwells within us because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And yes, he empowers us, but not to 
not to do this, <laughs> not to supernaturally lose weight and to decree and declare over your waistline. Listen, if you're having trouble with, with your weight, then do a heart check. Do a, do a personal heart check in your life, a spiritual check in your life and see, am I making food an idol? Is this becoming gluttonous? Is this becoming something that is now sinful? It's okay to eat. And she's going to make these ridiculous points as we go on about generational curses that another biblical character dealt with that, was, that were soul wounds. And it's, it's just ridiculous, the things that she says. It's simple. We are told, confess your sins to God. Bring, bring those things before the Lord. Confess them. Repent. Turn away from them. Be transformed. Let the word of God renew your mind. Be sanct- continue on in sanctification. Be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Again, preaching to the choir, I'm a choir member. These are things that we all deal with. These are fleshly desires that we deal with, and they need to be crucified. And some days are better than others for many of us, right? Some days we're doing well, and, and by the grace of God that we're doing well, and we don't, we don't fall, we don't stumble, but we also know that a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. And so we must rely on God to help us. We need his grace daily. We need his mercy daily. We need him. We need his spirit to help us because we are in a world that is still, it's still fallen. It's still broken. And there is still that sinful nature that wants to have its way. There's still that flesh to contend with, but praise God, the Holy Spirit has been given to us and he helps us to be saved from the power of sin. And we go through what's called progressive sanctification. So please don't buy into this whole thing as supernatural. Way. This is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, horrible teaching that is not glorifying God. It's elevating man's words and women's words. And it's elevating and saying, you have all this power and authority to decree and declare this away. You, you've made all these poor choices with your diet and whatever you've done, if that's what's contributing to your weight gain. So you've made all these poor choices. Just decree it away. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And I've got three bridges in New York that I'll sell you. Would you like a, I can sell them to you for a good price. Would you like that? Okay. Anyway, as she goes on, she continues and she breaks the curse of bitterness after she's told people to decree and declare this. Apparently that's not good enough. So then she goes on to break the curse of bitterness over them, uh, those listening and decrees dunamis over and into their emotions. And she begins to decree um, and, and break the bitter water. And I decree that dunamis is flowing into your emotions. You're not going to feel bitter in your emotions, upset, uh, critical, judgmental in your emotions. You are healed. You are excellent of soul. You got dunamis flowing in you right now. I decree it. And it's going into your body and it's making you lose weight because dunamis means the power to perform miracles. I decree it right now. Receive it and I break the curse of the bitter water over your life right now. I break the curse of your bitter water right over the of the bitter water over your life right now and I command that you'd lose weight right now even when you check yourself right now. Your pants would be looser. You'd feel your stomach go down. You'd feel your body start to change the shape and start to get slimmer right now because the curse of the bitter water is being broken right now in Jesus' name. Whoa. Oh. Hmm. Now, the next thing she focuses on in her teaching, she encourages those that are seeking supernatural weight loss to take communion when they're hungry. Take communion when you're hungry. I'll tell you why. Because number one, communion heals your soul. 
and it's your soul that's controlling your eating. And number two, Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, for my flesh is real food and my, and my blood is real drink. Wow, just imagine that when you're hungry, you can eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood and he's saying it's real food and real drink, meaning it will bring, it will give you that feeling of having substance. It will give you that feeling of, of eating and, and receiving nutrition into your body. And what happens when that happens? You're not hungry anymore. He actually said, my flesh is real food and my body's real drink. When I'm hungry and I know I, I'm not really hungry because I just ate. So I'm going to get real nutrition right now and, and receive really good food. I'm going to eat communion because Jesus' flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. And then I'll eat it and I'll make that decree. That's from John 6, by the way. You can read that chapter while you take it. Well, why not read John 6 right now? Let's open our Bibles so we can look and see, because she also goes on to talk about the meaning of the cup in this video. And what she says, honestly, I don't know where she's getting the meanings for these words in Scripture. At any rate, let's read from John 6 and see what John 6, we're specifically going to read verses 26 through 65. I'm just going to straight read them, and I encourage you to read them with me. And again, look at them and, and see if you come away with what Katie Souza is saying. So John 6, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, beginning in verse 26. Prior to this, the people were seeking him out. There was a crowd that had remained on the other side of the sea. They found out he had crossed over, so they went to go find him because this was uh, right after he had fed the 5,000, and this was a supernatural thing that had happened. And we pick up in verse 26, as we're going to see, he talks to them about this. Jesus answered them, when they said, why did you come here, Rabbi? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Just listen to what's being read. Listen to the context because it's talking about eternal life and salvation and Jesus going to down the cross. And what, that is going to be sufficient for giving eternal life and salvation. Is that what Katie Sousa is ministering? Is that what she's saying? Is that what she's pointing to? Or is she pointing to something else? Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. 
Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so he goes on to, to talk to the disciples as, as he's ministered this. And by the way, I, I wanted to refer again to the MacArthur Study Bible while I have it out because I looked in John 6. And under this passage, there is a note that talks about that this is more than likely not talking about communion. There's two reasons, actually. It says, first, communion had not been instituted yet. And if Jesus was referring to communion, then the passage would teach that anyone partaking of communion would receive eternal life. And we know that's not the case. That's not how people come to saving faith in Christ. Communion is for believers only that have come into the family of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, through the salvation, the atonement of their sins, and believing that Jesus has atoned for their sins. Spend some time studying that those passages. Ask your pastor about them so you can have better understanding. Ask your pastor for good, solid biblical resources on these, not something that's going to be Gnostic and mystic in nature and it's going to lead you astray and take you away from the passage. When it, the beauty of salvation is in this passage, I don't understand. Ah, oh, I don't understand for the life of me why someone would want to do that. But at the same time, Unfortunately, I was one of those that was egregious in saying things about the passages of Scripture and not pointing back to Christ. This has to do with Christ. Whenever you're reading Scripture, know that it testifies of Christ. That's a more sure word of prophecy. This is far better to focus on Him than focus on your waistline. If you want to be healthy for the Lord, if you want to to take better care of yourself, Go before the Lord, repent, ask him to help you by his spirit, ask him to forgive you, take it day by day, walk in his grace and mercy, know that his mercies are new every day, but you don't do this decreeing and declaring garbage, you don't do this. You don't go and say and, and misappropriate scripture in order for your waistline to be smaller and for you to feel like that you have to look more appealing or attractive. 
glorify Christ in your body. And, and also, I, I seem to recall Paul brought great rebuke on the Corinthian church because they were mistreating communion. And this seems like a mistreatment of communion. I don't take communion when I feel hungry. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. I know it's a different context of what they were doing, but they were still misappropriating communion. They were abusing it. And this is an abuse of communion. You don't use communion as some magic potion for you to feel less hungry and for you to to know I'm getting, it's sustenance, by the way, not substance, for you to get sustenance from what Christ did. Communion is for us to remember, to call into remembrance what Christ did for us on the cross and, and to remember the hope that we have in him, in his return, and remember what his body, that his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out for our sins. I apologize for getting, uh, for getting a little more zealous about this, but really it's, it's brings reproach on the name of Christ when these things are stated in such a way. And we're trying to find another meaning to scripture rather than appreciate the, the majesty and the splendor and the beauty that's already there through what Christ did for us, the, the ugliness of our sin that hung on the cross and this is something that we need to remember daily and specifically when we're coming to, to celebrate Resurrection Sunday and the power that our Savior left an empty tomb. He died for our sin so that we had a way to be reconciled back to the Father. It's egregious to appropriate that to what our Savior did and to say, well, just take communion because when I'm hungry, I remember that this is what the meaning of the cup is and I'm getting filled and satisfied. No, you thirst and hunger because your soul hungers and thirsts for righteousness as a born-again believer because you need God. You need salvation. You need the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you have hope to understand you've been sealed for the day of redemption because of what Christ did and him sending his spirit to indwell you. And you've been given a glorious promise of eternal life that no other religion can give. Our Savior lives and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you and I daily because we belong to him because we are his sheep. We are his children. We belong to God. And that's sufficient. And this stuff that these people are peddling, you don't need it. All it does is lead you astray. It leads you down a path that you're not meant to walk down as a sheep of the flock of God. Flee from these things. Flee from them. They're horrible teachings. As she goes on about 11 and a half minutes in, she talks about all that stuff. All that stuff that Jesus did. Let's see what, let's hear what she has to say. Jesus even says that in John 6 in that chapter where he's talking about communion, where he says, you know, I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. Um, you know, when you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life in you. I'll dwell in you and you'll dwell in me. He's talking about all that stuff. He also says this in that same chapter. Those who come to me will never hunger and never thirst. He's talking about community. He says, if you come to me and you take the supper, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst. Wow, that's so cool. And so he's saying, eat the supper, you know, take my broken body, drink my blood, and you'll, it'll take away the hunger pains. It'll take away the thirsting pains that you have. And it's interesting there because the word thirst there means this. Listen, those who are said to thirst, who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. So again, it proves that communion refreshes, supports, and strengthens the soul. 
And I love how it says that when he says that you'll never thirst, thirst means people who painfully feel the want of something that will make their soul feel better. See, we're thirsty people. We're just longing to have our souls feel better. We just want to feel at peace. We want to feel satisfied in here. We want to feel comforted in here. We want to feel joy in here. Jesus says, come to me, eat my, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood and you won't thirst anymore. Your soul will feel satisfied. You know, I'm listening to her say this and uh, this the, the about the third time that I've heard this now and I can't help but be grieved uh, hearing that and being concerned for her soul. Uh, because this is talking about eternal life. Uh, once again, John 6 is talking about Jesus going on the cross, paying for our sins, atoning for our sins, taking upon him the wrath of God we deserve, and providing salvation. And he took upon him as truly God and truly man the wrath of God. And he brings salvation and eternal life. And this is talking about eternal life. And instead, what she's saying, and, and again, th- this is the thirsting. The, the, he answers the thirst that we have in our soul of needing salvation, needing redemption. And this is not being taught here. Something else that's not even, that's foreign to this passage. Something else that is foreign to this passage is being taught. And it grieves me and it concerns me for the welfare of her soul. And for those that are listening to her, if there are people listening to her that think that this is truth, my, my, my prayer is God have mercy. God have mercy. As she goes on, she begins to talk about obesity and genetics. And she says that for those that would believe that, you know, they have uh, certain things in their bloodlines, their natural bloodlines, and that obesity is an issue because of other family members, she says she just doesn't believe that. And she begins to quote John 3, 2. And this is another passage. I know I'm familiar with this. I know many of you may be familiar with it and heard it misappropriated. But 3 John 2, this is one that is quoted many times in the Word of Faith. It's quoted in the New Apostolic Reformation, which this is, it's intertwined. I mean, Word of Faith is is ingrained. This is a multi-headed beast that you're going to find in this type of movement. But uh, that passage is, that verse is, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And when you read this in context, this is a this is part of the greeting that John is giving to the elder uh, beloved uh, Gaius. And this is essentially, I've heard some other Bible teachers state that this is along the lines of how you would write a letter and you would say, hello, so-and-so, I hope this letter finds you well. That's the same thing. And so this has been unfortunately misconstrued, misappropriated to mean something that it doesn't. This is a greeting, not a declaration or a promise that's given to us in Scripture. She says that dunamis power can change your genes and quicken your mortal body. And as she goes on, this is when she starts transitioning over and talking about Esau. And I want you to listen to what she has to say about Esau in Genesis 25 for a bit. And we'll take a little bit of a look at this. And again, I'm going to encourage you to do even more thorough Bible study on your own time. Go to your pastor about this. Um, if you need to, but she begins to say and to use this, and, sh- and she says this several times during this teaching. She says, I'm going to prove what I'm saying to you by going to scripture. If scripture doesn't say what you're teaching, then you're proving nothing. You're disproving the fact that you don't understand the Bible, that you're proving that you're not a good student and you're not willing to look at the, at the actual passage and read it in context. And so I want you to listen to this and again, see if you come away with what Uh, she's saying if you simply read the passage there's a story in the bible of someone who had weight or had food issues 
that were passed down to them in their family line. Guess who it is? It's Esau, for sure it is. This is so amazing. Check out this story. Esau was a food-driven guy, big time. Okay, he had food problems. He was like, worse than me. Oh my gosh, all right? Food was a big part of his life. She goes on to start to read from Genesis 25, and she says this was uh, Esau's gig, that he was a hunter. And since he hunted for food, he became addicted to food. And she compares herself to Esau in her food issue. You know, that she says, oh, I'd be, I would go to uh, my friend's houses and look and see what they had in the fridge and this and that. And, you know, she's, a, she's equating and basically saying her issues with food. She's trying to find someone in scripture to make this uh, teaching acceptable. So she's trying to find scripture to validate this teaching. This does not validate. <laughs> this scripture does not validate her teaching. Esau was a hunter. We have to realize he did not live in the 21st century like we do now. So yes, they hunted for food. That's what he was gifted by God to do, as opposed to his brother Jacob. And she, uh, as she goes on about 16 and a half minutes in, 1647 seconds in, she believes that this was a soul issue. I believe it was his soul that made him hunt for food. Let, let me prove it to you, okay? Right, here's the story in Genesis 25, okay? So it's the story about the lentil soup, okay? So it says that Jacob was boiling lentil soup one day and Esau came in from the field and was faint, everybody remember that word, faint, with hunger, okay? And Esau said to Jacob, I beg you let me have some of that red lentil stew, stew to eat, for I am faint, everybody see the word faint, and famished. And that's why they called him Edom, meaning red. And Jacob answered, well then sell me today your birthright, the rights of a firstborn. And Esau said, see here, I'm at the point of death. Do you really think he was? No, he's like, his soul is making him exaggerate. Okay, I'm at the point of death. What good does this birthright do me? And Jacob said, swear to me today that you are selling it to me. And he swore to Jacob and sold him his birthright. So she notes that Esau eats and he drinks and he gets up. And then that scripture notes that he scourged his birthright, which we need to remember that because she goes on later to mention about Romans 9. We'll play a couple more clips before we end and, uh, some, and wrap this up. But she believes this to be a soul issue, that he gave away his birthright. And she makes a big deal about the, the scripture saying that he, that he says he's faint, which means to languish in soul. And so this is how she puts the puzzle pieces together in saying that his soul made him give away his birthright and that we are like Esau in that. We give away the, the blessings, the financial blessings and such that God wants to give to us. And so we're like that when we become weak and feeble in our soul over these things. Uh, as she goes on, she says, uh, because of all this, that Esau had soul wounds that were passed down by his father. And she refers back to Genesis 25, noting that uh, Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. Let me ask you a question, though. Here's the thing that I, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, my God, he gave away his inheritance because of what was in his soul. Then I thought, I wonder where he got those soul wounds from. That's a good question, isn't it? Well, guess what? I believe it was passed down to him that they were passed down to him from his father, Isaac. I believe his father, Isaac, had major soul issues that caused him to be totally driven to eat and to be controlled by food. 
Okay, so let, let me prove it to you. And she's going to go on to say in this teaching and make a note in Genesis 25 that uh, Isaac was uh, partial to Esau because he ate of, his, of Esau's game. And so she's going to say that Isaac had soul wounds that he passed on to Esau and, and had to do with food, that they both had food issues. I am not kidding. You feel free to, to listen to this about 19 uh, minutes, 19 minutes, 40 seconds in. You start listening from there on, and she goes on to say that. And then she's going to say that the soul wounds with food, beginning at uh, 20 minutes in, 50 seconds, this led to uh, Isaac essentially sinning against God because she refers to Romans 9, where God actually makes a point of saying, uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And she goes on to even say that it was uh, Isaac's love of food that drove him to actually want to give the birthright to Esau rather than to Jacob and to essentially rebel against God. When you read Romans 9, and I encourage you to read all of Romans 9 in context, the verses before it and after it, and to to do some Bible study on this, there are some people that believe this is actually talking about the specific people, Jacob and Esau, uh, individually. I know Spurgeon, I read a little bit of what Spurgeon said about this, and he mentions about how he believes it's talking about the individual's Versus there are other teachers that believe it's talking about the nation of Israel versus the nation of the Edomites and making a distinction with that. So I again, I would encourage you to do Bible study on that. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that when you read this, when you read Romans 9 and you get to the verse 13 where it says what God said, she's reading into the passage for one thing, Katie, Katie Sousa is, but I highly doubt that if you had ever, if you had never heard her teaching on this, that you would have come away from reading Romans 9 and you would have said, well, I'll be, did you see how Isaac rebelled against God and that he actually loved the specific son that he should not have? And it was because he had a soul wound that he had a food addiction. And that's why he liked Esau so much because he brought home the groceries and he passed down this generational curse of food addiction to his son Esau. Would you come away from scripture believing that? And she goes on and I'll end because just for time's sake. And again, I'll share the link so you can listen to it if you want to make sure that I'm stating things in the proper context. At any rate, there are these teachings that the goal of this episode was to show there are these teachings out there. And I do want to leave you with some encouragement. If you are someone that is dealing with something like this, that you recognize God has been convicting you by his spirit, and it, it can be easier said than done. I understand. When God begins to convict us of these things by his spirit, and we begin to realize, man, I'm, I'm letting the flesh overrule here. That it's not a generational curse or anything like that, as far as needing to break off demons off your bloodline or anything, or trying to uh, blast the fat cells with your decrees and declarations. It's, it doesn't work that way. That's not how any of this works. What I would encourage you to do is go back to the Word of God. The Word of God um, is sufficient. It, for one thing, it is sufficient in training us up, in correcting us, in instructing us. Th this is the the way that God uses to to sanctify us by, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by the Word. We are reminded in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John seventeen. He says, "Sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth." And so this helps us in any situation to understand we are set apart for God's purposes in by His Word. 
This is how we know in the way, in the conduct in which we are to walk. And if we're dealing with something like this in our lives, for example, if we have extra weight on us because of gluttony, because of poor decisions, poor choices, um, because we're eating things that we shouldn't and drinking things that we shouldn't, then the Holy Spirit convicts us of those things. And we begin to have our minds renewed by the word of God to understand in the ways in which we should walk that ultimately glorify God. And that our bodies do not belong to us. They're not our own. And I have to remind myself of that as well. I'm not trying to preach to anyone and to say, you need to get yourself in order. And this is what you're doing wrong. I understand daily. This is, this is a thing of contending with our flesh in this. Learning how to make better choices because ultimately we want to glorify God. We come back to the understanding we are not our own. And we all as believers need to be reminded of that because there is still that fleshly, sinful way of thinking, I can do whatever I want to with my body. It's mine. I can do whatever I want to. And that's not the case because scripture reminds us we are not our own. We were bought at a price. And so in the context of dealing with sexual immorality, that's not gluttony or, or dealing with these food issues or weight issues. But in the context, when it's talking about in Corinthians, you're to glorify God in your body. That's also applicable to us today in every area of our life in our, when it comes to our body, not just in a sexual, sexually immoral way of dealing with that sin, but in every way we are to glorify God in our bodies. And we do that too by watching what we put in our bodies, of being mindful of that. We want to glorify God in those ways, then we want to make wise choices. And when we don't make wise choices, then we ask God to forgive us and to help us. We realize our weakness and our need for Christ. We realize our need for His Spirit to help us and to guide us and to lead us. And one of the scriptures that I want to leave you with today came to mind when I was thinking about this, and I wanted to read it to you. And there's probably, I'm sure there's other verses that will be encouraging and helpful to you as you do your own study and, and ask God to bring these things to your remembrance by his spirit to, to meditate on his word, because that is where we are transformed and renewed in our minds is by the word of God. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, after Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he has rebuked them and rebuked them in these letters, um, warning against idolatry. And we, we know that um, this is certainly feasible in our own time. It's not even necessarily a wooden statue that we carve or, um, or stone or anything, but anything can become an idol in our lives. It can be... It can, it can be uh, used to in a place where we place our affections in that. And food can certainly do that. It can be a place where we put our affections when we're dealing with stress, when we're dealing with um, frustration in our lives, uh, when for comfort. Um, it, can, it can all serve those purposes. And again, there's nothing wrong with having desserts. It, there's nothing wrong with eating in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with having things that are um, foods that are enjoyable. But also too, we have to learn how to have moderation in those things. And we have to learn how to to take care of ourselves. 
and ultimately in, in glorifying God in our bodies and doing so, so and wanting to bring glory to him in everything that we do in word and deed. As Paul goes on to talk to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 10 about the warning against idolatry, he reminds them of what the Israelites did. They were idolaters, that they were that they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And, and he tells them, you know, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And the 23,000 fell in a day because of that. And we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed, destroyed by serpents. We must not be grumblers as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And he says in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So any of us can fall prey to these things. Any of us can fall to these temptations. And verse 13 is the one that came to mind. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, we know that go and look and understand what that meaning is, because we know that uh, James tells us that God does not tempt people. He says he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And he goes on and says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry that I speak to as to sensible people judge for yourselves what I say. And then he's going to go on. And then we know in, uh, as he goes on in first Corinthians 11, he goes on to talk about the Lord's supper as he, as he goes on further into first Corinthians 11. And I would encourage you to read that as well in first Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 17 about the Lord's supper and to see what that has to say. So I wanted to share this today, and I hope that it's been helpful, and I appreciate you taking time to listen, and I appreciate your patience uh, with my zeal <laughs> at times regarding these matters, and this is not meant in a, in a malicious way towards Katie Souza or anybody that would listen, but there is a grief that comes with this, and I think some of that grief is the fact of realizing, first of all, uh, my own egregious behavior in this in this movement, and praise God that he has forgiven me. And I've repented of my own actions, my own sinful error in what I did and perpetuated. But seeing people part of this and flocking to these types of things, knowing that the talk of sanctification, of crucifying the flesh, of uh, being a good student of the word, those are not popular teachings and those don't bring a, a flock of people. But the, the truth brings the sheep. And so my concern is not for numbers. My concern is for souls, for those that would um, hear and take heed to these things. If you listen or you know people that listen to these types of teachings on supernatural weight loss and, and trusting in these manifestations, love them enough to warn them. Stay away from this stuff because all it does is lead to deception and to lies and to twisted teachings that lead away from Christ. Trust in Christ Read the word, renew your mind with the word, let the Holy Spirit convict you. Conviction and repentance is a gift. And it's a gift to for us as believers because we know that Christ has died for our sins and that when we stumble and we fall and we're in error and sin, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need and that we have a high priest ever interceding for us and we need him. We need him interceding for us. And this is not a message to say, well, we can live in sin and do whatever we want. Grace, grace, sister. Grace, grace. That's not what this means. This doesn't mean that we habitually practice a lifestyle of sin. That's not a true believer. 
But we do recognize that we are both saint and sinner simultaneously as believers and that we are going to sin, not because we want to, but because we know that we're in a fallen world and there's still this nature to contend with and our flesh is going to rebel against the things of the spirit. But we have hope and we have good news because of Christ and we have we can have joy and hope in knowing that the Holy Spirit abides in us and indwells us and he's going to help us. Can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes, we can by the things that we do as believers. We can also continue to stay in the word. That's why it's so important to stay in the word daily and have your mind renewed by the word of God and recognize that that's your sanctification. We got to hear that last Sunday at our church and talking about, and that's been something that's really been so edifying to me is to constantly remember. That's why it's so important to stay in the word of God because God uses his word to sanctify you. Part of my sanctification and your sanctification as a believer in Christ, the word of God. And I believe, and I'll leave you with this. I believe that there is, that's why there is such a contention when people bring up this teaching about, well, you just believe it's the father, son, and the Holy Bible. No, I actually believe that the word of God has value to it and it matters. And I don't understand why you don't believe that. You say you're a professing believer. I don't understand why you're belittling the word of God, but yet you want extra biblical revelation all the time. And you want a new fresh word from God when you don't honor what the word that he's given us. He's given it to us for a reason. And we need to value that and understand that if Jesus had enough place, enough value on the word of God, the Old Testament, and we know the New Testament is valuable, too, because it is the word of God, it's scripture, then we need to place that much value on the word of God as well. And we need to be in it daily, not out of some legalistic uh, obligation, but because that's part of our fellowship with God. And when we know his ways, when we've read his word and it's written on our hearts and we walk, we know his ways, we'll walk in them and we'll want to please God. Again, not out of obligation because out of our love for him and we love him, we'll know what his word says. And Jesus even said that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If we love God, then we'll follow his commandments and his word. We can't follow if we don't know what it says. It says nothing about supernatural weight loss. It says nothing about decreeing and declaring your fat cells to dissolve. It does tell you that you repent and you turn from these things and you acknowledge your weakness and you turn back to Christ and you put your faith and your trust in him and you ask him in your moments of weakness, God, help me. I need you to help me. I can't do this without you. Whatever it is that we're struggling with in life, we go to our Savior We go to our father and we ask the father to help us and we thank him that he sent his son to make a way for us to be reconciled to him and that we thank him for sending his spirit to indwell us that we have power over sin because of God, not because of us. I hope that this helps you. I hope that this, again, steers you back to the word of God and away from these horrible, wretched teachings. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word. Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.